circumstance where you protect people or, or out traveling, protect them from all the, the accidents and things like that. Because I mean, here in town, uh, like in Collier, we had a lot of Facebook or family and friends that were unfortunately not passed. So they'll you right now to to move as we're talking to to help us not take anything that was not needed but only house the things that you would use later on to help us uh, speak to people so that is the goal and so Lord help us to achieve um, our our role in your work and so just ask you to do that right now Lord and anybody hurts that that wants to see anything say so, <coughs> all right, so uh, last week, right, Matthew 12, 28, this is where we left off. Thinking through his own theology 
with grabbing these random verses and then making them say things, right? So he grabs the John 16, 7, and he says, okay, the advocate is really Muhammad. Okay, well, when you say that, by take, and this is the problem with um, taking the verse, right, and making a theology out of it. Uh, you know, we've talked about this before, that you can't proof text, right? Because when you do that, you automatically will come into problems with other texts, with other verses, with, uh, with bigger theology that's out there. And so, but that's what Zacchaeus Knight is, Zacchaeus Knight is doing. He's running into that problem of the problem of proof text. And so, so that's just what, we, what we're talking about here. So this idea that that's the first thing we need to walk away with, okay? So never proof text, okay? You should only use text if you are ready to defend the whole thing within the context of what's being said, okay? So if you're not able to do that, then don't use that verse, right? A perfect example of this is I can do all things through Christ, right? Um, okay. But in the context, it's not you can do all things through Christ. It's I can do through all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah, it's I can do it because God is my strength, right? It's not me who does it. Right. So I, I can't do all things in Christ. I can't do all things. I have to do them in Christ because he has to be my strength, right? Mm -hmm. So it's you just have to make sure that the, everything is right. And so, but let's go to the context here. So Matthew and Luke is also, it's the same text. Um, but we're looking at the Matthew one. It says, all, And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of uh, David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebub. Okay. Beelzebub. Um, this is the RSV translation. The prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will this kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? I love so just a little side note on this. I love this verse because Jesus is the thief in that verse. This is a little like I just find it funny. <laughs> but anyway. Um, then indeed he may plunder his house. He who is not with me is against me, and he who is uh, who does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever says a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So, so a couple things. One, this is how we connect the Spirit of God to the Holy Spirit in the context, okay? So when I was talking about the pneuma, the theos, okay, the Holy Spirit, that is the Spirit of God, that's the words, but it's connected to the Holy Spirit. How do I connect it to the Holy Spirit? By context. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I just want to be clear on why, why we're talking about that. 
The second thing is, this is really important. Jesus is very clear that every sin, this is verse 31, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That's a huge statement by Jesus. Because what is Zachary Knight doing? He's blaspheming, He's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. This is, yeah, this is one, this is just, I mean, there's a whole, there's a whole theology of what this means, but just on the surface level understanding of this, this is what Zachary Knight is doing. He's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he is taking what the Holy Spirit is doing and he's attributing it to Muhammad, which is just one example of how you can blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Now, there's other parts to this, and it goes deeper, but that's just a surface-level understanding. And so, this is a huge thing. So, in the context, we can see by him just pulling out this proof text, right? One, we've already shown that it, he's relating Muhammad to this Spirit of God through all the, what we've already talked about. Two, he's actually blaspheming against the Holy Spirit by doing that. And so that's a huge thing that we need to recognize. So, but through this, Jesus claims casting out by the power of the Spirit is a sign, okay, that the kingdom of God has come. So this is what, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come to you. That's a huge thing, right? That the king. So this is so one of the things of the New Testament and the Jesus's language of the kingdom is that it's here and future, right? Mm -hmm. So it's now and a future thing, and so it's a, a both and, right? And so it's so when we have this understanding of that this is a sign. So Jesus is saying the the casting out of demons is actually a sign of that kingdom arriving. That's a huge thing because that means do we need another messenger for the kingdom? No. And so all, all we do as Christians is we, we follow the Holy Spirit's lead and the Holy Spirit, his job is to point us back to Jesus. And that's our job is to point back to Jesus. And so this is why, this is another little thing. We have to be really careful with revelation, modern revelation. New revelation, right? Because if you see in every cult, it's always a new revelation. There's always something that was hidden before, but I got the the new. I got the insight. That's inside scoop. Yeah. Um, in fact, there's a, a a translation that's making its way around. It's called the Passion Translation, and that the the guy that did it basically said, Jesus is giving me new insight into the Hebrew, into the Aramaic, into the Greek. And so... Who, who is that, Jim? I would have to look up his name. Um, right. But it's called the Passion Translation. It's not that Brian. It, it, we had talked about it. It might be. Okay. Um, but we don't... Yeah, we don't have that translation. Um, <laughs> yeah, don't be, I tell you don't a little bit over there. Um, take a look yeah so, yeah, so that's just one of those things out there that's that's floating around and actually is going into churches now. Um, and so we just have to, as Christians, we have to be very slow 
and accepting revelation, right? Yeah, so, how does the Dead Sea Scrolls fit into this? And the reason I ask that because of is because a couple of days ago, they found more right. Dead Sea Scroll fragments. Right. So how do those fit in? So that's just, we find manuscripts, oh, we, I don't. Um, scholars find manuscripts all the time. They're, like, what was what's special about that is it's from the Dead Sea, mm -hmm. and in the Dead Sea Scrolls, the original Dead Sea Scrolls, um, they found the most complete Isaiah, um, you know, dating back to the second century. Um, so that's why it was so important, um, and it shows that the scripture we have today is actually the same scripture we had since, I mean, that Jesus. So what Jesus knew of the Old Testament, we know. Like there, there's not differences in the, the major sense. Um, and so manus finding manuscripts, uh, it's like we have, we've talked about this before, we have over 24,000 manuscripts of the New Testament, um, and there are 700,000 variants within there, but they're all grammatical, you know, types of, there's nothing theology. So there is no theology that changes. The closest theology that might change for some people, and it's not even, to me, it's, it's nothing, is, you know how in Revelation it says the mark of the beast 666? Mm -hmm. Okay, so there are variants that say 616. Mm -hmm. So does that change your theology that you shouldn't take the mark of the beast? Mm -hmm. No. So the, the number doesn't, that's not the point of the passage. The passage is don't take the mark. Like that's the point of the passage. Now there's debates on what the six 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 means anyway, so that's not but that's so that's what it is. There are books found in the Dead Sea Scrolls that are not included in our holy Bible? Yeah. Um, so apocryphal books, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> stuff like that. But the reason okay, so I'm sorry. No no no. Um, so this is so the canon of scripture is really important. Um, so Old Testament canon, it's it's done over centuries, right? And so the what we take as the canon today, the reason why we as Christians can accept the Old Testament is because Jesus accepted it. Mm -hmm. So there are passages where Jesus, well, Jesus quotes <laughs> from the whole that almost the whole Old Testament. There are. Um, he doesn't quote from Ruth um, and um, es Esther. That's all there was at this point. He was given validity to the Old yeah. Testament is what he's doing. What? He was given validity. Yeah, so, yeah, so he, like right now I'm doing a, a study in Deuteronomy. And uh, Psalms in Deuteronomy, he quotes all the time. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just a constant quote. Um, but then he also, I can't remember the, the verse, but he talks about from the shedding of Abel's blood to the to killing of Zechariah. Mm -hmm. um, well, that is the Old Testament history in the book, right? So that's a, a valid part. Um, so that's how we know those, those scriptures are valid. Um, he never quotes from, now there is some, debate on this, but he never quotes from any of what's called the, um, the Apocrypha. Apocrypha. So he never actually quotes from it. 
um, Jude alludes to it. Um, and so, but that an allusion is not the same as a quotation. And Paul alludes to a lot of things. In fact, he actually quotes pagan poets. So even then, it's like, gotta be a little careful in that. Um, as far as the New Testament is concerned, why do we have the New Testament and not some of these other things like uh, Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of Mary, what's called the, um, um, what is that? What is it? The, the Gnostic um, uh, Gospels? Is because, one, the criteria for the New Testament was uh, it had to be written by an apostle or someone closely associated with it. So, like, Mark is associated with Peter. Um, Luke is associated with Paul. Um, then you have, it has to be accepted by all the churches at the time. And so, in this case, um, in the Council of Nicene, all the church, all the bishops, there's like, I think it's 315 bishops or something like that, um, all agreed, except for I think it was three, but that was for a different reason. I don't think it was for canonization. Um, and then the last one was, so, because this is all off the top of my head, okay, so I'm trying to remember it all. Uh, so it's accepted um, by the churches. Um, oh, it was written by someone, an apostle or someone associated with it, and um, it, it can't contradict the Old Testament. Given revelation, so all of them in the New Testament were agreed that they didn't. Now James was a, a contentious one. Uh, same with Hebrews. James because it, if you're not careful, you'll read into works-based salvation, which that's not what James is actually more in the vein of like Proverbs on um, the application of God's word, and so. Um, there's actually a debate with scholars right now if that's actually what it is. If it's a proverbial book um, like Proverbs. Yeah. Um, and then the other one was Revelation because it's so different. And then um, but because it's apocalyptic literature, that's probably why it was accepted. And then the last one is Hebrews because the debate on who wrote it. Mm -hmm. So we still we're still at that debate today. Who actually wrote Hebrews? Paul. Um, well, so, but even back then, they didn't agree that it was Paul. Um, so, was it Paul? Was it a disciple of Paul's? Who wrote it? So, um, but because it was in line with Scripture and the churches accepted it, they eventually accepted it. So, okay. well, I mean, I've been doing some studying on that and everything about the Eastern Orthodox. Church has way more books than what is in the, the Protestant, yeah. And the Catholic has different ones mm -hmm. than it. Yeah. Well, okay, so all of them have the core. Yeah. The 66 books yeah. of the Bible. All of them have that core. The others have. The other ones have it. So in the Latin Vulgate, so Jerome is the one that actually translates the Latin uh, into Latin um, from the Greek um, and, and Hebrew to an extent. So he translates it into um, the Latin. And he was against including the Apocrypha. Um, but he, the church asked him to, to include it, and so that's why it's included. Um, but he was against it because even then they, they didn't accept it. Um, the you're, Eastern Orthodox... Jeremiah, you're saying the church 
Are you, are you talking first century church? No. Or? Um, so, okay, so this is where it gets cloudy. <laughs> so you have the early church, right, which includes up to the third, the third century. Um, so you have the apostolic church, which that ends with John, and then you get into the, early, the um, church fathers, um, uh, which is from about 200 to 400, right in that area. And then in the, three, in the 300s, you have the church being accepted, right, historically as uh, an okay religion. So that's what Constantine does, and then later on, it becomes a the state religion, so there's so that's a church you're talking about. Yeah, so that church. But then we get to the the now that's the cat. Okay, so that's a Catholic church, but the Roman Catholic Church doesn't start till later, right? Because when they split into the Eastern Orthodox and the Romans, now you have the Roman Catholic Church and the East Eastern Orthodox, and I think that's ten something. 1095 or something, the Great Schism. And that's when the actual Roman Church starts. So and that's all about iconoclasts and stuff like that. So it's not about the, the, the canon of Scripture. It's about other peripheral problems. And the fact that there's two popes. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot of history there. Um, but, yeah, so what I'm talking, the, that church, I'm talking 400s. Yeah, three or four hundreds when Jerome starts writing, um, but it wasn't the Catholic Church yet. Right. I mean, it was a Catholic Church, but it wasn't the Roman Catholic Church. Right. So, uh, so there's a lot of history um, to to go through there, um, and a lot of theology is actually developing as it, as it's all going on. You have Tertullian in the early the late hundreds, early two hundreds uh, with the Trinity. You have um, later on you have Augustine, who develops um, grace um, a lot, and so, so, yeah, but so as far as canon is concerned, um, every Christian group, the 66 books of the Bible are there. Then you get into other peripheral things, and especially in tradition, like with the Eastern Orthodox, so they, they have a separate tradition. Um, another one is uh, Coptic Christians. Um, but they, and we have to understand, there, there's a real difference in how canon is perceived within Western Christianity as compared to other veins of Christianity, especially the Coptic. The Coptics don't even have a, a, an actual canon. Now they say, now people will say this is canon, right? Uh, and when I say they don't have an actual canon, I don't mean the 66 books. I'm talking about the peripheral writings. Um, if you're in the, the Coptic Church, one, one, and now, okay, church umbrella, now I'm going to the small C church, okay, so these small C churches might say, okay, this is in the canon, and this isn't, and then you go to another Coptic Christian church, small C, and they'll say, no, that's not, but this one is, you know. So yeah, e even within the, the small C churches there, there, it's different. So it's, it's a lot more fluid with the other ones, mm -hmm. but not the core. And that's the thing. Every Christian vein, there's 66 oh, books. Core, 66 yeah. books. Yeah. So. Could we just so. stop 
No, no, there you guys go. There's your history portion. So there's a lot. There is a professor online. I think his name is Matt Reeves. Matt Reeves? I think so. I, I could look it up. Oh, I have to to remember. Um, but he is a professor out of Thornton Con. Thornwall? Thornwall? Is that what that's Thornton Con. Yeah. That place. Um, <laughs> and he, it, all of his classes are actually online. Very interesting to go through. And he does everything. I mean, he does. Greek and Roman um, history. Well, not Greek. Every, everything concerning around Christianity. Look at his name after. Yeah, he is, and he's really interesting. And he does um, like C.S. Lewis and Tolkien <laughs> and their writings. He just has a huge breadth of teachings online, and you can literally and they're about thirty minutes to an hour long, and you can put them on and just go through the history of the church up to the modern age. So it's and it's really like accessible, easy to understand. He doesn't do, like he t tells you the big words and then puts it into like perspective. History is a must. Yeah. Those who do not learn from history are bound to repeat it. Yeah. So yeah, so the, yeah, so if you get it, I can get you that name, uh, but he is really a good one for the history of the church. So, yeah. Okay, thank you. Okay. Point two. <laughs> uh, so the next part is Jesus claims uh, claims says that the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit crowd is given there by giving the Spirit personhood. That's another thing, is the person of the Holy Spirit. So when the church is so going to history, um, one of the first things that the church actually had to deal with is is Jesus fully God? Okay. Um, or is he fully human? Right? It's one or the other. And so actually the Council of Nicaea is, it's brought together, not for actually, a lot of people think that um, Constantine brought the bishops together to make a Bible. That was kind of a secondary problem. What was going on is you had the two groups that were battling and they were, one was saying that Jesus is fully God, fully man. The other one saying, no, he is a created being. And so that's actually what Nicaea was about, trying to deal with that. Because Constantine didn't want this religion he just accepted to be torn apart. So, he, so and a lot of people think that Constantine, like, like directed Nicaea. All he did was sit there. And it was the bishops who dealt with and we're talking bishops in the ancient sense, not in the Roman Catholic sense of those today. Bishops are just like, um, I always describe it like this. If, if courtside, um, so we have courtside right here, and let's say um, we needed to send a representative to somewhere else as a representative <coughs> courtside, um, it would be the, like, the head pastor, right? So in our case, for years, I would say that would be Jeff. Pastor Jeff, because he was well known throughout the city, and he'd been the, the pastor had been here the longest, and so he would have been the bishop or the head pastor of Portside. Kind of like being an apostle. Yeah, basically that's what it is, and so that's that's in the ancient sense, and then we have bishops today and all that. But so, yeah. 
But so that is a huge thing because what it does by Jesus saying that you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, it gives him personhood. And that was the, another development in who is the Holy Spirit, right? And this is where the Trinity language really started taking hold. And so by, by giving the Spirit personhood, what Jesus is also doing is he's showing the Godhead, the Trinity, within this understanding of blasphemy. So now what Zechariah Knight does, and he doesn't even realize he does this because he's not reading it in, in context, is not only is he saying that Muhammad's casting out these demons, right? He's saying that Muhammad is equal to God and that he is actually one of the Trinity. And now, I, okay, so let's step back from that. Jesus doesn't say in the passage, the Holy Spirit's one of the Trinity. Okay, that's not what he says. But what he does by saying, you blaspheme against him. So you're not blaspheming. Uh, so if we go back to that, that context, right? If we go back to this, he says, there, verse 31, Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be, um, will be forgiven uh, man, men, right? But the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So, and whoever says a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. So, in this... Separated by yeah. Son of Man, yeah. Holy Spirit. Right. So, it's... So, he says, against me, right, things will be forgiven. Okay, so he puts himself one separate from the Holy Spirit, right? But then he said, but before that he says, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be. So he's, if this two distinct persons, yeah. right? Two distinct persons happen in this passage. And so as we understand scripture and we start walking through scripture, we start asking questions. Okay, if the, if the Holy Spirit is a person and Jesus is God, Right, and the Holy Spirit is, you know, and so we start walking through, and this is where it all <clears throat> comes together. This is why you read a verse, you read 30 verses, you read a book, you read the whole New Testament, you read the whole scriptures, right? And everything has to work within all of it, or else it's not true theology. Is he putting the Holy Spirit above you? It seems kind of like that here. In this? Yeah. Well, so this, that's an interesting thing. Right, because we always think of the Holy Spirit as being like the third, right? Mm -hmm. But this is where we have to get past the idea of there's a hierarchy. Yeah, because you only see the Father, the Son, and the Holy right. Spirit. Right. So I mean, you're going right. one, two, three. Yeah, and we have to instead of <laughs> right. So they're co-equal, right? But so this is so, and this is where it starts getting hard because we have so in theology. You have what's called what I call the eternal trinity and what's called the economic trinity. So you have the eternal trinity, which that's who who God is. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, co-equal in majesty, co you know, this is actually um, there is in our in our doctrines course, um, we go through the actual doctrine of the Trinity. And it is so weird because it just goes back and forth. It talks about there being one Lord, not three Lords, but not separating the three 
from the want, you know, and it just goes back and forth because it has to be so specific with its language, but our language can't do that. So Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We go, Father's on top, Son's in the you know, second command, and Holy Spirit's down at the third, but in reality, they're not. Our mortal minds can't grasp that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and so how does that work? And so, yeah, this idea of the last name of the Holy Spirit really kind of puts in perspective of who the Holy Spirit actually is. You know, that we sh we have to be really careful that we don't. And this is, I always call him the wall wallflower God. Right? That he's kind of, he's, this whole thing is not interested in pointing to himself. This whole thing is pointing to the Son and to the Father. And yet, Jesus points to the Holy Spirit and says, yeah, you want to talk bad about me all day, you can. But if you talk bad about the Holy Spirit, that's, you can't, you're not going to be forgiven. Now, that's a very simplistic idea. Do you think that even the next life will understand how three and one exist? Well, this is how I was thinking about We'll have an infinite amount of time to learn about infinite God. <laughs> so probably not. So it, you know, we'll spend eternity learning. Yeah. Yeah, there's so and many interesting. Spending eternity in awe. Yeah, and that's really what it is. It, it's kind of interesting to think that if if we were to sit here and think that, well, when we get there, we'll understand. Right. Okay. Like, you know, like you say, it's infinite. But the, he's an infinite God, and how are we ever going to be able to grasp that? We never will. Right. We'll, we'll spend eternity, he, you know, going, Pursuing. going, going. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Thinking that we would understand it. Well, try to even come to him because him to make himself equal with God. So, and that was right. Satan's job. Somebody tried to God. Yeah. It's hard to even comprehend no time. Yeah, that, 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 that's an interesting, that's the problem that God has, is getting us to try and comprehend him who is outside of time, yeah. you know, and how do you, and that communicating with us and giving us understanding is a, him, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> he's done a pretty good job, but yeah. we still got a, we well, still got a ways to go. Yeah. I was going to say, he's doing great with Satan. Yeah. Well, I was just, it, with putting Jesus stating that to uh, my interpretation of this is Jesus is saying it's like okay you know say what you want against me but that's fine but you do not blaspheme the Holy Spirit and if the Holy Spirit then intercept intercedes for us and and to me that just um, put the Holy Spirit on just this massive plane it's just like Wow, you know, yeah. the Holy Spirit that is going to God for me, and it's like, wow, but yet Jesus Christ said that, you know, the Holy Spirit is more than me. Well, be careful with that. Well, I know, I've got yeah. people, on the, people on the plane, but, but there, right. I mean, to, yeah. to me, it's like, you know, you can throw dirt at me all you want. I don't care. Right. But you do not touch the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah, and so. And then it's, but it's the Holy Spirit that is interceding 
She's the one that did her C suite. Yes, yeah. So I mean that you know, and that in itself is mind boggling. Yeah, and so this is so my so in my prayers, um, a lot of my theology and understanding of God, that's where it comes out. So how I pray, um, I usually don't quite pray in like Jesus' name because of theology that goes into it. Um, but but I my prayers over the years have begun to include the Holy Spirit as part of my prayers. So I pray. So my prayers are very Trinitarian. Um, I always open up with uh, Father or Lord, um, and, and I talk to all three within it. And so, um, but that's just so my theology comes out in my prayers. So if you ever want to listen to like, what does Jeremiah think? Like that's where my theo- a lot of theology like just grows out of. So it's a weird thing. Let's keep going. So John 5, 30. Okay. Um, this is another one. He says, I can do nothing on my own authority. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Zechariah 9 takes this, and he says, okay, Jesus can't do anything on his own. So if he was fully God, he can do whatever he wants. That's the idea. Okay. He says, um, Jesus doesn't seek his own will. He seeks God's will, yeah, the Father's will. So therefore, he is not equal to God because he has to seek God's will in this sense. Okay, so that's the thought here, right? But the problem is, is this idea of can do. Okay, I can do. Okay, so that name is dunamis hahi. Okay, um, meaning enabled by God. I. I cannot, I can do, right? I am enabled by God. I cannot be enabled to do anything in my own authority. I'm not enabled to do that, right? So this goes back into the understanding that Jesus gives up his divinity, not gives up his divinity, um, but does not reach into it and use his divinity. Remember, uh, I used that really bad analogy of the backpack. Um, a couple Sundays ago. Uh, so Jesus doesn't reach into the backpack and pull out what he needs. Instead, he relies on God. He relies on the Holy Spirit. He relies on the Father. And so he's saying, I'm not enabled to do anything in my own authority. It's not that. that and that's a huge thing. Because what that means is, Jesus has fully become a servant. Mm-hmm. And what that means is, we can do it too. This one little thing helps us understand that we are unable to do anything in our own authority. Why? Jesus shows it. So if we can't do anything in our own authority, right, what do we have to do? Rely on God. This is why Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore. So whose authority? Jesus's authority. So while he was here walking around, he did nothing in his own authority. But when now he's fully um, ascended, what does he do? And in that authority that he has, now he can he can do whatever he wants, right? So what does he do? He sends us. And what are we supposed to do? 
I can do nothing of my own accord. We follow the example of Christ. So, in other words, the implication is Jesus worked in concert, right? In the in the whatever the Godhead wants. Why? Because He's always done it this way. This is this is a, the eternal Trinity working itself in reality, like in application. That Jesus is here. He's doing what he's supposed to. He's giving us the, the example to follow. And so that's why he's not he's not enabled. It's not that see we look at as Jesus can't do something. Mm-hmm. That's not the implication of it. The implication is that he it's it's like on your um, phone or your laptop, you can enable things, right? You just click it and now you can use it or you don't use it, right? You enable it or you disable it. So we do this a lot with the the, um, slides on the computer for the church. We have slides that we only use for a month. And instead of deleting those slides and having to make them again, we disable them. And then next year, we enable them when we need them. So this is what happened with Jesus. He's he's disabled, in a sense, his divinity. It's okay. still there. It's still there, but he's not enabling it. And that's what he's saying. He says, so this idea is enabled by God. I'm not enabled to do this in my own accord. That's what he's talking about. And so this is this goes back to this idea of the lone wolf, right? And the example of Jesus. Jesus could have done it all in his own authority and just done it. But what would that have taught us? Nothing. Be independent. Go do yeah. what you want. You just do whatever you do. And that's the exact opposite of what we are supposed to do. So Jesus' perfect obedience to the Father is there not because Jesus has to do it, but rather because Adam did not do it. He did not rely fully in the, in the authority of God. And that's what God's here. And so what does Jesus do? Disables the divinity, does what Adam should have done, and was justified because of it. And now we can be justified because of it. So that's a, it's a huge thing. So where he's talking about, like, Jesus can't do these things. It's actually what's happening is it actually speaks to the full divinity of Christ, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. Just in that one can do phrase. And that's so that's one of those things like when we translate things into English, we can miss some of these deeper understandings because that it's literally can do. But the thought behind it is enable. So it's a little different. So, all right. So let's get into the bigger context. Okay. So this one for as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. So this is something Jesus can give, right? That's a huge thing. So the father can do this, and so can the son. So Jesus is saying, I can, I can raise people. I can give people eternal life. So the 
Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son. Right? So this, why not the Father? Right? No, it's the Son. So Jesus is making himself equal to the Father. That's what he did on the cross when he told the thief, you don't have to pay for it, you'll be a son of God. Right. Yeah. That's that authority that he had. Right. Um, and so that all may honor the Son, even as they honor the Father, there's that equality. Um, he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So by pulling Jesus down, as Mike is doing, he is not honoring what he's he's thinking he's honoring all of us. But what Jesus says is if you can't honor me, you can't honor the Father. Right? That's a huge thing. And so this is why when people say, say I believe in God, it doesn't matter if you believe in do you believe in Jesus? That's the only thing that really matters. Because if you believe in Jesus, then you'll believe in the Father as well. But if you just say, well, I just believe in a God, and Jesus was just a, a good teacher. Well, you don't actually believe God, because God said, Jesus is the Messiah. So, you can't have that. So, it's a really big thing. So yeah, so, and it says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not, he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death and life. Truly, truly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear it will live. And he doesn't say the voice of the Father. Because mm -hmm. he's pointing to a time when he will have full authority. And then he goes into I can do nothing. Because he's talking about future state, right? And then he switches to, and this is the situation now. I can't do anything. I, I'm unable to do anything of God in my own authority. So, and then he gets into the rest of the verse. And so that's the context of what's actually going on. And so Jesus claims to give life to those he decides to give life to. That's a huge thing that Jesus has the ability to, to give life, that's huge, because in the Old Testament, there's only one person that can give life, mm -hmm. and that's God. And so by Jesus claiming that, he's automatically claiming himself to be God. Other thing that Jesus says, uh, Jesus claims to be the judge of the world. The Father judges no one, but has given judgment to the Son. So Jesus is the judge. Well, in the Old Testament, there's only one person that can judge, and that's God. And he he lends that judgment to humanity. In fact, in the Old Testament, the term uh, Elohim, now we usually, use, we talk about, um, and we'll say, well, God's name's Elohim. You gotta be really careful with that because yes, he is Elohim. But Elohim has is very layered in what it actually means. Um, it means judge, um, that's, uh, and that's how it's used of humans. That we are judges, we are Elohims, meaning that we are representatives of Elohim, and we are many Elohims, many judges. And so, um, I can't remember the passage. It's where Moses, um, I want to say it's like Exodus like 19 or something, but I'm getting all confused. Anyways, it's a passage where um, Jethro comes to Moses, and Moses is dealing with all the, the nation and Jethro says you're you're gonna burn yourself out. This is Jeremiah's paraphrase. Yeah, this is Jeremiah's paraphrase. Um, you're burning 
burn yourself out, you need to delegate. And so he says you you need Elohims. You need judges. That's the idea there. People that are godly and will do godly. In fact, in uh, the psalm where where Jesus says, he says it here, um, doesn't your own scriptures say that you are gods? And he's pointing back to, um, it's like Psalm 23 or 20, not 23, 29. Uh, yeah, but that's the one that Mormons always use. Is, See, we are gods. That is Elohim there too. And the idea there is you're judges, not gods. But you are representative of God. And it's actually mocking in the original text, and Jesus is mocking as well. So when people use that, like Mormons, I'm, I always say, you know God's making fun of you, right? And you're buying, you're falling into the trap. You, you go through it. And actually, what's going on. Anyway. Um, so the next part is, Jesus claims to call the Father through the same honor, that all may honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So this idea of just equality with God is through this whole thing. And Zachary and I pulled out this one part. And it's like, yeah, but everything else about, even in that passage, in that verse, all talks about Jesus being one with the Father. So you're not even interpreting that one verse right, and especially in the context. And that's that if we do nothing else, when we talk to people, it's let's read the whole context. Like if if nothing else, let's just at least do that. All right, Acts 22.2, and this is probably where we're going to end. Um, maybe we'll see. Uh, it says, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Okay, so he really focuses on that Jesus of Nazareth, a man. Okay, that's where he really focuses, that Jesus is a man. Um, you got to be really careful about this because... Um, Man is a very loose thing that's used by the scriptures. And we actually talked about this two Sundays ago. Jocelyn brought this up in our um, Sunday night. And she brought us where it's uh, right before uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. And there's the Lord and two men. So we're talking about who are those men. And later on we find out that they're angels. But it uses very loosely. Um, God is called a man in the Old Testament. Moses in one of his songs calls him a, a man of war. You know, we translate that as a mighty warrior, but it's man of war. And so we gotta be really careful. Just this is just a like a PSA type of thing. Like the word man is not always like a human gender male, you know. And so So, uh, in context, we have to read the whole thing, right? So, this is what Peter's saying. Jesus, this Jesus delivered up according to the de definitive uh, plan and the foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of the lawless men, but God raised him up, having loosened the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said, said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, till I, take the, to, till I make thy enemies a stool. For thy feet, let let all the house of Israel therefore know and assuredly that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. 
Okay, so that's the context in which this Jesus of Nazareth, a man. One of the things that, first off, this Jesus actually uses this the same passage to, to mess up to mess with the Pharisees. Um, he says, "Who's the who's that? Who's the Lord here? Who's the Son?" Right, and they can't answer him because the reality is, it's this is this is language that is it's weird stuff that's happening in the Old Testament that God puts there. You know, and it's like it's a confusing thing. And then when Jesus comes, he he makes it clear. How is this? How is this to be interpreted? Well, if you understand God as Trinity, right, then it makes sense. There could be two Lords: the Father, the Son. That that you know that makes sense within the with Jesus being fully God, and the Father being fully God, the Holy Spirit being fully God. It makes sense in that context, but in any other context, it actually doesn't make sense because. Who the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, right? Well, who is the Lord? If David's saying this, the Lord said to my Lord, well, who's David's Lord? Well, it, it's Christ in this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. yeah in this it's Christ. But if David's the king and he's saying, my Lord said to my Lord, right? Or the Lord said to my Lord. Well, the Lord has to be God. God. Right? In the, if, if you take Jesus out of the equation, the Lord has to be God. Well, then who is my Lord? If my God? Well, yeah, let, let's take Jesus out of it for a second and just put it into the context of the Jewish hearers. David saying, the Lord said to my Lord. Well, who's the Lord of David if he's king? Well, this, mean, is, this is the thing. is like it makes no sense. If you, if, yeah, if you have no knowledge of who Jesus, Jesus is, yeah. if Jesus is not in the picture, it makes you'd be no totally sense. baffled. Yeah, because you would not understand. Because my Lord is God. That's who's Lord, that's who's David's Lord. But he's saying that there's the Lord, and so it's confusing until you get to Christ, and now Christ fulfills it. He is my Lord. He is the Lord, whichever one, you know. And so this is just one of those things that it doesn't make sense until you get to Christ. Mm -hmm. And so that's what actually what's going on here. And then Peter ties that in with God has made him both Lord. So that's what he is. He in that the Lord said to my Lord. So my Lord is Christ. Right? So now we know who it is, because Peter is telling us. And then, so there's that, but also the idea of Lord is really important. So when later on in Romans where Paul says, uh, you must confess that Jesus is Lord, that isn't just saying, Jesus, you're, my, you're Lord. That's not what it is. The confession of Jesus as Lord is a, a declaration of saying, Jesus is over everything, my life, over this world, over all countries, because the person that was called the Lord in, in ancient Roman society was Caesar. And you refer to him as the Lord. And so when Paul says you must declare, and he's telling the Romans this, you must declare Jesus as Lord. Not, not Caesar. He's 
that's the connection there. And so for them to hear that for the first time is like, we can't say Caesar is Lord. We have to confess only Jesus as Lord. And so this is a huge thing that's happened. <coughs> and so, but so that's what's going on. So Paul or Peter here is connecting Jesus, the Nazarene, right, to the Lord of David. And so that's a huge thing that's happening. And Zachary Knight doesn't see this. But there's a couple other things too. Jesus, it says, whom you crucified, right? Okay, so first off, Islam rejects Jesus being crucified. Okay, so in the Surah 4, 157, it says, And for their saying, indeed, we have killed the Messiah, Jesus, the son of man, uh, son of Mary, the messenger of Allah. And they did not kill him, nor did they crucify him. Okay, so Peter says in that passage, whom you crucified, right? So this is a, you crucified him. And yet in Islam, in the Quran, it says, no, they did not kill him, nor did they crucify him. So right there you have a problem. Islam has to be false, right? So again, this is one of those double-edged swords that uh, Islam falls into. Sounds like a bunch of double talk. It is. <laughs> it really is. Well, that's what they say. That they, that there's a double at the crucifixion. Yeah, it's the double. Yeah, it literally is. They say, no, it's, yeah. it's someone else. That one, yeah. That one, yeah. yeah. Didn't even know it was there. Yeah, but another, so, but another was made to resemble him. So there was, a double was put into the place of Christ. That's so stupid. How can yeah. anybody believe that? Why would you ever believe that? Well, that's the thing is, that's what they're taught, and they're, they don't know. So I, I listened to a, um, it's called Sira International. Uh, he was a, uh, a, I think it was Saudi. He was a Saudi Muslim, grew up as a Muslim. Uh, in fact, it was just a twist of fate, right? Um, where he did not, was not one of those on the 9-11 group. It was just God's hand in pulling him away from that group. Um, and so he says, I could have been one of those on that plane. And he talks about how he grew up as a Muslim and he was a dedicated Muslim and he knew the Quran. But it wasn't until he had an encounter with Christ that he saw the Quran. Like, actually mm -hmm. saw it for what it was. Yeah. How the Bible says this and yet the Quran says this. You can't have both, right? And this is one of the guys that talks about this double-edged sword of Islam, where if, if Jesus was crucified, right, then Islam is false, because it says he wasn't. But if Jesus wasn't crucified, Islam is false, because it says Jesus is a prophet of God. And those that followed in the first century were, were true Muslims. Well, if Peter, a true Muslim, said that Jesus was crucified, but he really wasn't, then Islam is false because they, uh, they accept the testimony of Peter. <laughs> and it's just one of those things that it's a double-edged sword for Islam. Well, double stuff, yeah. Yeah. So. Well, kind of goes back to our country now. That we teach, our, our teachers are telling our kids now, from the time they go to preschool, they hate this country. It's 
Well, yeah, and that's the thing is, so our, we need to be people who are pointing to truth. And, and, and really it, what it is is it has to be by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, it has to be because like this guy, he grew up and that, that's all he knew. And it wasn't until he encountered Christ that things could change and advice could be opened. So. All right, so two, two more things. One, uh, Peter says that God made Jesus Lord and Christ. So uh, the word kurios, meaning a person exercising absolute ownership rights. That's what Lord means. One who exercises absolute ownership rights. And when used of God, it means that he is the universal owner. So when we call Jesus, or when we call God Lord, um, that's what the implication is: is that he is a, the universal owner. Okay. And so when Jesus it says he has made Jesus Lord, he's saying now God has made Jesus absolute owner. That idea. And so we actually know that to be that Jesus is back into his full connection to his divinity, however you want to say it. Um, so Jesus says, give me the authority I once had with you. That's what we're talking about. He's made him. It's not that he made him, right, that he created him, but rather it's a restorative understanding um, rather than a, a make. But it's that idea. And the other one, Christos, literally means the anointed one, the Messiah. So that's just um, what it is. Uh, the next one is this passage in its full context shows that Muhammad isn't in John 14 or 16 because Peter points to the Holy Spirit being given at the very moment. Right? This is actually the fulfillment of John 14 and 16. So the Bible actually gives the fulfillment of what Jesus says in those passages that Zachary and Mike have already said that that's Muhammad. So we have an actual prophecy fulfilled within the pages of Scripture right away like that so so that's the last part of that so next week he says that Jesus is a, a good Muslim so next week we'll talk about what that that Jesus is not actually a Muslim um, so we'll talk about that's that. good to know yeah <laughs> so um, so we'll have I think we have two more weeks um, of this class maybe three um, we'll uh, we stopped. What? Because we're really pretty close to the end there. Yeah. How many? How many points did we get through tonight? <laughs> well. <laughs> well, we start yeah. point five next week. It's only like six points, isn't it? Yeah. Nice. So. Six point sixes. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So we'll probably. There's probably another handout. No, no. There, so this that will end our our Muslim section, and the, there's another section actually on um, Mormonism, where we I think we go through the Psalm, the God's Psalm. So we actually go through that. So if we end next week, then we'll just jump into that next part, and we'll just do that section um, because the second section of that is like it's literally eight weeks long. Like it is. We won't be here yeah. for us. It would be twelve. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. yeah. so, he gives a ton of scripture, and you, we have to go through every single one. Like he gives a, just a little box, and there's probably twenty scripture on there, and we have to go through every single one of them because that's 
to really break it down, we have to make sure. And when you start breaking down, then you start understanding, okay, this guy's completely off the rock. The only perfect that fit is just tonight or I haven't got off talk about what the fit is. But that's it. Yeah, we'll probably finish that up next Wednesday. And then I think we have two weeks after that because there's, I think there's two weeks before. I don't know. I don't have anything. Um, but we, yeah, Easter is our cutoff date for what we do. So I think there's two, I think there's three Wednesdays before Easter. Is it just two?
joy that we can have. Father, I thank you so much for your word and how we can be so clear just reading in plain English. And so, Lord, I thank you so much that you've given us it in our you've given us hard copies, you've given us digitally on our phones, and, and we can access them in so many different ways. Thank you that you've given us such a, a, a gift with our modern stuff. And Lord, help us as we're talking to people, just anyone that wants to kind of twist the word that we can stand firm and be able to point them back to the fullness of your word. And so I just ask that. Uh, and ask that you move in us by your, by your spirit that we could accomplish those things that you've set out for us and that we be reminded of the things that Jesus spoke and that we would trust wholeheartedly in your word. And so, Lord, I just ask for your movement right now. I ask all this in your son's name. Amen. 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 Amen.